Welcome to That Hockey Show, part of the Go Hockey Media Radio Network. It's time to hit the ice for some puck talk, no matter how many teeth you have left, with some of the sharpest line mates covering the game. We're going coast to coast and through the neutral zone to light the lamp with all the latest hockey chirping you can handle. So, you better keep your head up, because the team at THS always finishes their checks. It's showtime. Let's drop the puck, and if we have to, drop the gloves on that hockey show where the game is always on. Yes, the game is always on right here at THS. Welcome aboard, everybody. Week six, episode six of that hockey show from the Go Hockey Media Studios, broadcasting here out of Long Island, New York, and coast to coast as we go to Buffalo, Chicago, Montreal. And California, L.A. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert here, holding down the uh, the buttons in the board here. And as always, coming up at THS, we got Joe Yurden. We're going to talk some Sabres and some Eastern Division. Costa Papoulias will check in with us on the Great North Division and all the chaos in Montreal, the new coach. Tab Bamford will join us from Chicago. And we'll talk some Blackhawks and Central Division. And we'll round out the show, as we always do, with Steve Palumbo. Out in L.A. talking some Western Division, West Coast hockey. And we'll check in on the New Jersey Devils. So, again, here we are. This NHL season, 56-game season rolling on. Picking up some steam. And a lot going on every week. Never a dull moment here in the NHL and the world of hockey. As we love to talk about here at THS. A quick thank you to everybody who's been uh, tuning in. And subscribing and downloaded, we really appreciate it. For me and the rest of the crew, we can't thank you enough and uh, for sharing and so on and so forth and subscribing. So uh, just keep that going as we keep growing the all-new THS here at Go Hockey Media. Some some good stuff. So here we are um, as we uh, kick things off always here. Uh, we had seven games last night, and uh, there's ten games on the schedule tonight for Thursday, February 25th. A quick rundown of last night. The Bolts beat the Canes 3-0. Stars beat the Cats 3-0. Flyers beat my New York Rangers 4-3. Uh, the Leafs beat the Flames in overtime 2-1. The Wild had a, a just, they're just putting tons of pucks in the net lately, lately since uh, Zook here and Karazov have uh, turned things on for them. Uh, 6-2, they beat Colorado. Uh, the Yotes, man, they're a uh, with all the stuff that's going on in uh, Arizona, man, these guys have been winning a couple games here. They went 4-3 against the Ducks last night in a shootout. And then the Kings, yes, the L.A. Kings, who have won six in a row, ladies and gentlemen, and creeping up in the uh, <laughs> in the Western Division there, beat the Blues 2-1 to last night as well. So uh, some wild stuff, lots of goals. And, again, we get back at it tonight, 10 games. There is one postponed game tonight, and that's the Knights and the Sharks. Do do uh, COVID protocols? I believe Hurdle was the uh, is the guy that's uh, going into protocol right now. So they've postponed that game and they'll reschedule that. Is uh, that is the norm here now with the the NHL and and COVID uh, pauses? So if you're looking at schedule tonight, you get the Bruins at the Islanders. Um, that's a great matchup. Uh, you know, every game right now in every division obviously is huge. Uh, the Eastern Division is just, uh, it's very tough and tight up at the top there, the top four, top five, so uh, that's a good one there. Uh, Pens are at the Caps. Uh, you always got to love that game, Ovi and and, um, and Sid, and congrats to Sid on his 1,000th uh, game there this past week as well, too. Uh, Caps and the Bolts. Um, uh, Canes and the Bolts, I'm sorry, going at it tonight. Uh, Stars and the Cats. 
And then the Hawks and Columbus, wild one again, another 6-5 game with these guys the other night. We'll get into that with uh, Tab a little later on. But uh, back-to-back games there in Columbus. So uh, the Hawks, after a couple of uh, – they were down – a couple of goals twice in that game, and they just uh, – I don't know how they're doing it, but it's uh, its its great to see them scoring all around here. Keeping it exciting, so they'll go back at it uh, in Columbus tonight. Uh, should be a lot of fun as always. Flames are playing the Senators. Senators basically knocked Claude Julien out of a job and Kirk Muller out of a job in Montreal. Uh, so uh, they're riding a little high right now. They'll be playing the Flames tonight. Uh, the Devils at the Sabres. Devils, uh, you know, last week we spoke to Steve, and the Devils went ahead that night and beat Boston. Since then, they've lost three in a row. Uh, Sabres also struggling as well, too, and we'll get into that with Joe and both Steve uh, later on in the show. Predators are at the Wings. Two teams struggling uh, in the Central. Uh, and, uh, you know, speaking of the Habs before, uh, the uh, Habs are playing the Jets tonight. And new assistant coach recently promoted, Dominic uh, Ducharme, uh, will get his debut, debut against the Jets tonight in Paul Maurice. So uh, everybody in Montreal will be watching that game. Uh, should be a huge game in Canada tonight uh, with that on the schedule after the, uh, the news of uh, Julian getting fired uh, this past week. And uh, another chapter starts for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, routing out the, uh, the games tonight, Oilers at Canucks. Oilers playing really good of late, too. Canucks struggling. Um, so, you know, a couple of teams here throughout the league here, you know, whether it's what happened in Montreal, what's going on in, you know, you know, the Rangers, you know, teams just trying to figure it out here in terms of uh, turning the seasons around Nashville, um, all kinds of stuff going on here as far as, you know, guys behind the bench, you know, we're getting into, uh, you know, pushing towards 20 games here, 25 games, um, and, you know, some, some organizations are going to be starting to make uh, some decisions here probably in the next couple of weeks as far as, you know, what Montreal did uh, in terms of maybe uh, changing things up behind the bench. And uh, as we get closer, uh, you know, then towards, you know, you can't fire the players, but, you know, trade and deadline coming up down the road. There's some trade buzz going around, so we'll see what happens. But, again, it's all hearsay, hearsay and we'll go from there. So, real quick, as far as top of the league here, we always do the top 10. Toronto 15-4-2 with 32 points. Um, you know, Quenville doing a great job there in Florida. He's got the Cats in second, 12, 4, and 2, 26. Oilers, like I said, coming back now third in the league, 13, 8, and 0, uh, with 26 points. The Bolts there staying steady, 12, 4, and 1, with 25 points. The Canes, 12, 5, and 1, with 25 points. The Bruins, 11, 3, and 2, 24 points. The Hawks, 10, 6, and 4, 24 points. Uh, the Knights, 11, 6, and 1, 23 points. Jets, 11, 6, and 1, at 23 points. Montreal and the Caps both have 22, and then everybody below that just uh, under 22 points going down there. The bottom five, uh, led by the Sens at the bottom, come up a little closer. We got the Wings, the Sabres, the Devils, and yes, my New York Rangers also down there at the bottom five of the league. Um, rounding out, like I said, just some news. Lake Tahoe last weekend was pretty wild, pretty cool. Avs 3-2 over the uh, the Knights there on that double. They played a little bit in the afternoon and finished it at night, and the Bruins just uh, spanked the Flyers 7-3 there. Uh, in the evening game, uh, I guess midday evening game on Sunday there too. So uh, great stuff by the NHL. Uh, look pretty cool. They've got to work out some kinks there with the the weather and stuff. But uh, we'll uh, maybe talk about that with the guys today in terms of the future of uh, games at Lake Taco going uh, Taco <laughs> Lake Tahoe down the road. Yeah, there's an idea. Taco Bell sponsoring the Lake Taco game. Um, other than that, like I said, Julian and Muller getting fired. Big news. Parise uh, gets his 800 points versus the Avs. Uh, Kings winning six in a row there. Um, you know, the Yotes winning two in a row here with all the stuff that's going on off ice with that franchise. Obviously, the Panarin news, 
him being in limbo right now, big uh, loss for the Rangers and for him not being in the lineup, but we hope everything works out well for him and his family, everything else. Some really good news with Hank Lundquist putting the pads on and getting on the ice. He seems to be recovering well from his, um, you know, his heart uh, issues, so that's great news. And uh, as far as who's hot uh, in the league, McDavid uh, still leading the league, 38 points. Matthews got uh, uh, in Toronto's got 18 goals. McDavid leaving the league in 25 assists as well. Um, and then um, you got Anderson and Vasilevsky uh, with 11 wins each in net. Uh, Gibson, Varlamov, and Flory both lead uh, with three shutouts each. And, um, you know, Pavelski, Matthews, and Van Riemsbyk all have seven power play goals. So there's just a quick roundup of what's going on as far as uh, the league right now. But, hey, it's time to start bringing my line mates on here at THS, and we'll kick things off, as we always do in the face-off circle, with our good friend, Mr. Joe Yarden, calling in from the great city of Buffalo and the great state of New York. Joey, what's going on, brother? Welcome back. Paulie, good to be back, my man. It's uh, never not dramatic here in the city of Buffalo, it seems. <laughs> oh, Buffalo, man. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think. The last time I was up in Buffalo was 9091, I think it was. Wow. Yeah, that's a long a while. time. And me and a couple of buddies back then, we were, when we were young and single and didn't have any responsibilities or children or anything like that, um, <laughs> we flew into Toronto. The week that they, okay. tur- they changed the Hall of Fame from the Olympic Stadium area over to the, the new place, downtown Toronto. So gotcha. like idiot, idiots, we showed up. We pulled into the Hall of Fame, and there was a, all, all that was there was a guy in the lobby saying, uh, "Dudes, it's closed." <laughs> so we didn't get to see that. So we go to see the uh, the Leafs play the Rangers that night at the old Maple Leaf uh, Gardens, uh, and then we went to see the Sabers. They were playing back to back. Rangers were in town mm-hmm. for for both games that weekend. Long story short, uh, those were the Lafontaine McGillney days, which were just awesome times up in Buffalo. And beautiful and, uh, Rangers got crushed. You know, this is when Van Beeswick was still on the team. But um, a lot of fun, man. But I remember being, uh, you know, very cold. And uh, we did have some good times after the Sabres game, though. We uh, hit a bar and four idiots wearing Ranger jerseys. And uh, <laughs> we ended up bumping into uh, Rob Ray that night. A couple of guys who were in this popular uh, Sabres fan. They they, oh, they bought us drinks, but, man, they ripped us. It was so much fun. So oh, that was my last trip in Buffalo. I was going to say, was that uh, Jim Kelly's sports bar? Was that even open yet? By that point, I don't know if that opened when uh, they were in the in the middle of their Super Bowl years or what. I mean, they they had already been in the Super Bowl once or twice at that point, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he had his sports bar open on on. I think it was on Main Street. I, these are the stuff. This these these are the things I hear about. Is that? But like Kelly's was like the place where all the Bills guys went, and then all the Sabers guys went, all the Sabers players went. Like during the year, like that was that was the hangout. Like it was safe safe for the athletes to go, and uh, even safer for the. Um, uh, the women who are big fans of the athletes to hang out to. <laughs> All I remember was how cold it was standing outside to get in, and there was a long staircase. It was like a second level bar or something like that. That's what I remember. Okay. And Man. then, uh, but we had we had, you know, partaken in a lot of alcoholic beverages, pregame, <laughs> during game. So it's it's very fuzzy there, Joe. But yeah, uh, that's I mean, yeah, asking asking questions about night, you know, nights nights after a game thirty years later, uh, <laughs> might might be a little tough. Which that drives me crazy that hearing ninety ninety one is now thirty years later. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god, man. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> now that we both indeed. feel really old. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> sorry I brought that up, Joe. So <laughs> 
We're off to so, a big start here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's pretend we're young again, and uh, let's talk about, um, I guess, this, I don't know, is the season still young here in a 56-game in a uh, condensed season here in the NHL? Uh, before we get into the Sabres and, and how they're doing lately, too, uh, maybe just get a quick take on, on the Lake Tahoe games and, and some other NHL news and, and uh, that you know just went on this past week and obviously the firing in, in Montreal and stuff, but maybe just a quick couple of things that you want to maybe just touch on real quick. Well, I, I love the, the Tahoe games look beautiful on TV. I mean, once they figured out that the sunshine was their enemy um, and that sun and ice are a bad mix, especially at 6,600 6, feet, the other, you know, the, the atmosphere is a little bit different. Um, uh, but I, I tell you what, though, I mean, I know the Colorado Vegas game was was a little bit of a mix was was a mess because they tried to squeeze that in during the daytime. But uh, but when they moved Buff, uh, Boston and Philly to, to nighttime the next day. Boy, oh boy, did that, that I mean, aside from uh, the sun shining in the eyes of the goalies in the first period at sunset, uh, which which made me think about baseball playoffs where, you know, they decide to start games at 5 p.m. And, and the hitters are trying to hit with the shadows and, and good luck facing somebody throwing 100 miles an hour with that. But um, I'm sure facing pucks coming at you at 100 miles an hour with the sunshine in your face. Not that great. But um, but I mean, hey, it, it's what we've been saying for a few weeks here. Boston look great. They looked absolutely great, and I, I know that was a stinker of a game for Philly, and you know Carter Hart had a had an off game, but but man, Boston looked really good, and they're they I mean they weren't doing bad without Pasternak, they just didn't look as good as they do now, and yeah. I think that's that's the big difference for them is he's I mean as great as Bergeron is, as great as Marchand is, Pasternak makes that team so different, and they look great, they, they looked absolutely great. I know it's we're only like halfway through the year, almost halfway, like 45 percent through. But man, I, Boston looks evil tough in that group because I don't. I, it, it's hard for me to see any of these other teams in the division right now being able to hang with them. I mean, that even goes for Philly. And Philly's playing good, you know. Washington's playing good. Um, you know, Pittsburgh is kind of figuring their stuff out now. Like they, they, Pittsburgh's been playing pretty good of late. So you know, there's. I mean, there's going to be a lot of competition in that two to five spot of that division. Yeah. Uh, but Boston looks like a beast. They just look absolutely destructive. And they're, they're a little banged up too now defensively though. I mean, McAvoy went out in that game. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, so with that it's, aspect, do you still think they'll be able to kind of plow through this? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, losing McAvoy is tough, uh, but you know, you, 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 at, you start asking a little bit more out of a Mac Reslick to kind of fill in that puck mover spot for them to do a little bit more. I mean, as long as it's a short-term thing, I mean, I'm not too worried about it as far as Boston goes. I mean, they, every time I want to deny Boston and say, like, well, you know, the, the shine's coming off now. Like, forget them. They, they just keep finding a way to plow ahead. They just keep they, they keep having guys come up through their system that just plug in and do great. You know, I, I think of the uh, the Finnish kid, uh, uh, Erho Vakainen. I, I think that's how you pronounce it. I might have butchered that really badly. I but, butcher names but he, all the time, so don't don't feel bad, Joe. I'm the worst. Here I am a hockey guy, and I can I can barely still say Lafreniere. <laughs> but I tell you what, though, like Vakhinen's had a ton of time in Providence to really kind of warm up his game, and he's a guy that they they still they they still think a lot of. So I mean, he gets a chance to play, and they know, hey, maybe he takes the reins and he just runs with it. So um, yeah, so I, I absolutely love Boston. The Montreal thing, you know, I, I I feel connected to Montreal just because of how the division normally is outside of COVID seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but seeing them fire Julian, who I think is just an, a brilliant coach, I think he's I think he's one of the best you're going to find in the league. But seeing them fire him, 
because, uh, you know, they lose a two in a row to Ottawa. Yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't, you just can't lose two games in a row especially to Ottawa. Especially in that's, Montreal. That's, yeah, especially Montreal. But you see that happen. You see Price is having a, as having a really tough season and they don't have an offensive game breaker. Like they don't have a stud offensive player. Like they've got a, they've got a deep team. Like, don't get me wrong. Their forwards are deep. Their defense is questionable. And I think Weber's had a tough year too. So I see all these things getting into the mix and like, I see Julian and he's just trying to do everything that he can to try to keep the, keep the ship going. And they had a hot start. Like they, they totally did, but the top end of that division is is tight now. You know, I mean, Toronto's kind of taken off on everybody, and, and Toronto's got a ton of cracks too. Like, I think everybody in that division's a different level of weak, mm-hmm. um, but that makes it more fun to watch <laughs> because yeah. I think everybody has tremendous flaws. But but Montreal's just bailing on Julian and Kirk Muller for that matter, and I think that's more of a that's more of a condemnation of their power play because their power play's been tough. Um, but I mean, if, if that you know, if losing a couple to Ottawa and having you know having a bad stretch of late, where I think they've lost what six of eight or seven of nine or something like that, I mean that's a bad run. But does that cost you, you your coach a job? You know, after they were so good last year and Julian pulled all the right strings last year. I mean, you know, hey, may, maybe he wore out his welcome on a room. Maybe you know, maybe the players are just tired of hearing it from him. I who knows? We're, we're not going to find that out unless you know Claude, Claude decides to come out and say like, yeah, these guys think they bailed on me screw them. Like, I don't think that's going to happen, but I mean, but I mean, but we're just kind of left to our own devices here. Now, if these guys pick up their play and everybody starts playing like crazy, you know, now that he's gone. All right. You know, I hope for Dominic Ducharme's case that, that, that happens because I mean, this is his first big crack. I mean, the way he coached that Canadian team that won gold in Buffalo a couple of years, uh, the world junior team. I mean, that, that was a tremendously talented team. That was yeah. a loaded team, but they beat a really good Swedish Sweden team in that gold medal game. And they were, you know, the whole tournament, they were really good. So, you know, for his sake, I hope they play well uh, and he gets a really honest to goodness chance, because otherwise you're looking at you're looking at, you know, Bruce Boudreaux hanging out there. Maybe you're looking at Mike Babcock hanging out there, although everybody is is on the hate train for him right now. And I <laughs> totally get why I completely get why. But, you know, you know, when you got a McGill grad who's won a Stanley Cup kind of sitting out there waiting for another chance to coach. You gotta wonder. You gotta wonder if he's gonna get a phone call. I mean, if if you're looking for a coach that can handle the Montreal media and not speak French, which we saw Randy Cunningworth couldn't deal with that. Mike Babcock's the guy that can. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. It'll be interesting to see what happens. But I, I, I guess the general vibe across Montreal land is that they're going to give uh, Dominic here a bit of a chance and and see what happens. He's got a good test tonight in his debut against the Winnipeg Jets. Um, maybe just if, if anything, uh, Montreal fans are just happy they're not playing the Senators tonight. So they can maybe <laughs> no more Brady Kachuk haunting them. You know, just <laughs> oh give him a break. God. Too funny. <laughs> All right, let's talk about these Buffalo Sabres here. Um, 16 games played, 6-8-2, eight, and two, eighth place, 14 points. Uh, two and two in the last four since we last spoke. Got the Devils tonight, uh, 3-1 loss to the Caps, then came back with a 3-2-1 against the Devils, and then a 3-2 loss to the Isles. Uh, maybe if they just never play the Islanders again, they'll be okay. And then uh, <laughs> they beat the Devils 4-1 on Tuesday before the game here tonight. Um, you know, uh, Slow and steady, same old story here maybe, Joe. Um, outside of the news that uh, is coming out that maybe Eichel was a little banged up uh, before the season started. But before you get to that uh, news topic, just maybe your general summary here of the, of the team this past week. Well, I'd like, you know, as much as I'd like to see them 
maybe maybe get a one win against the Islanders, maybe look good <laughs> against the Islanders for once, uh, once this season. Uh, I'd like to see them beat somebody other than the Devils. <laughs> I I think that I think that would be a good test for me because because uh, I I don't think you can really judge your team well by how you do against the Devils. You know and you know listen, Devils are fighting it, Rangers are fighting it a little bit. You know th- that, those are the those are the three teams at the bottom of this division right now, and they're all kind of you know punching Judy with each other. So uh, I would like like to see Buffalo maybe get a win against somebody that's not the Devils or the Rangers for <laughs> once. Like, you know, show me that you can beat a Pittsburgh. Show me you can beat a Philly or a Washington. Like, do something else. Um, but they're, you know, for they get a couple of wins against the Devils. Hey, nice. You, you know, you did your job. You took care of it. Linus Allmark looked great on Tuesday. Um, you know, he gives up the one goal late, but, like, the game was already academic at that point. It was it was 3 nothing when he, when he gives up the goal. He looked outstanding, so I, yeah. I, I, that that's encouraging. You want to see that. You want to see him play well. And I mean, he he's the guy carrying the load. I mean, ten of the last twelve starts for them. So he's the guy that's that's the number one. I mean, it ain't Hutton, and it's not Jonas Johansson. So he's he's the guy. Um, but what's become the drama here now is Jeff Skinner, and yeah. Jeff Skinner's going to be out again tonight. He skated with the taxi squad this morning. So, so how much now they pay him? Drama. How much do they I'm pay sorry? him, Joe? <laughs> uh, nine million a season. Yes, Woo! nine million a season. And now he's going to be sitting out his third straight game. And this is this is a problem. I mean, it's a problem for every reason you can think of right off the top of your head. He's a nine million dollar player who is suddenly on the outs with the coach. Because he's, you know, even going back to last year, I mean, he was a th- he was playing on the third line. Granted, it was with Marcus Johansson and, you know, insert random right winger <laughs> here through the season. But it was at least, you know, for for all the criticisms I had of Johansson last year of him not being a true center, not being able to be helpful as a playmaker. Skinner still generated chances. Johansson could still, you know, he still got some chances to score and. You know, and the same thing this year. I mean, you played him on the he played him on the fourth line with Curtis Lazar and Riley Shahan. Those aren't the guys you normally think would play with a guy like Jeff Skinner, but Jeff Skinner still produced shots, still produced scoring chances because that's what he does. He takes advantage of turnovers in the neutral zone. He's able to turn it the other way for opportunities. He's great at stealing the puck. He's tremendous at drawing penalties. Like everything he does leads to some sort of offense. And for whatever reason, and Ralph is being very quiet about you know his reasons. He's keeping it in house, keeping it in the room, whatever. He's allowed to do that. But the problem with doing that is that you give everybody idle hands, and you try to dis- you try to figure out, okay, well, what's his glitch? What's the problem? And you can't figure that out just by you. Know, you look at the raw numbers. You can say, well, he's got one assist in you know the whole season. Obviously, he stinks, and that's the basic overview of it. But when you start breaking it down into the advanced numbers, the expected goals, the scoring chances, all this stuff, all you know, all the all the stuff that all the old time writers just go, I don't like that stuff. You just give me the points, points and plus minus. That's all I need. Like, okay, fine, you can judge a guy by that. But folks, when you that was Joe down... Yurden's other journalist <laughs> voice. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I mean, when you start breaking down his game. He's doing his job and he's doing it with two guys that don't create offense. And mm-hmm. like to me, that shows he's very capable of doing the work. I mean, you can criticize his 40 goal season and say, well, he did it with Eichel. That's the only reason he scored 40. Maybe like you could say that, but he scored 30 goals in other years with, you know, with guys like Chad LaRose in Carolina. Like Chad mm-hmm. LaRose was not a playmaker. Like, yeah. okay. Like, 
I mean, you don't want to slap the Enigma label on this, but the whole thing is just perplexing. Like, I don't understand why Ralph doesn't see him as a top six player when he scores like a top six player through his whole career. I don't see why he's he I, I can understand seeing him as a defensive deficiency, but everything he does doesn't seem to point to that. Like, you know, the possession control, the creating opportunities. I mean, he's able to keep these, you know, Lazar and Shahan out of the DN because he's able to turn the puck and go the other way with it. So it makes those guys look even better, but those guys help him out because whatever he lacks defensively, they do twice as good. I mean, it happened, you know, like when he last season, he played a few games with Johan Larson. Johan Larson's not an offensive stud. I mean, he's got some skill. He's got some ability, but those two guys together created a ton of opportunities and Ralph kept them together for maybe four or five games. And then he said, ah, we got to go back to what worked. And I was like, okay. All right, I guess, but you know, you know, give Skinner, give Skinner his opportunities here. I mean, you're paying him $9 million. So you're, if you keep him out of the lineup, you're basically saying the coach is fully in charge, which, Hey, he should be, but Skinner's got six more years. And if you're going to have him on your bench playing with your taxi squad for, for most of the season, for, for the next six years, what are you doing? Like you can't buy him out. Like he'll be on your cap forever. You can't trade him right now because nobody has any money. And if you if you do trade him, you're taking on somebody else's uh, huge contract. Which, hey, if somebody's got a player that fits for what Ralph wants more, that costs that much that costs that much money, cool, great, make it work, figure it out. But I mean, good luck finding that guy. Like I don't know that you're gonna find that guy. So there's there's a lot of things just bubbling up here. And I mean, hey, listen, if if he's trying to get Skitter all pissed off, and so that when he gets back in the lineup, he goes off. Congrats, <laughs> but it's not like the chances weren't weren't there the whole time along. And I think that's what that you know, buy him a break, get a get a shot that doesn't go off the post, or a goalie makes a, a stupid save. You know, get pop a couple in there, and suddenly he's he's ahead of Taylor Hall and Jack Eichel on the goal scoring list. Like these, <laughs> all these guys aren't scoring. So I mean, so he's just taking it all out in Skinner. It seems, and it, that that seems seems very odd. I mean, I get it. They spent eight million on Hall this year. They want to convince him to stay. Okay, great. You're not going to bench Jack because that would cause a nuclear meltdown mm-hmm. in the town, which people are already talking about him being traded anyway. So you're not benching Jack. But so I, I guess you take it out on Skinner. He's he's the guy that that has to take the lumps for for those guys. I don't know, man. None of it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, speaking on that, Joe, too. I mean, uh, you know, I was we were talking last night on the hockey show about, you know, even Lafreniere's uh, ice time here in, in New York in terms of, you know, specific teams having specific issues, specific players. I mean, Skinner here up in Buffalo, in the realm of a shortened season, and let's just take the Sabres, and you can take almost the Rangers too, as far as where they are developing their team, rebuild, retooling, whatever you want to call it here. Mm-hmm. So if, if you have a short season, you pretty much know you're not going to make the playoffs, right? So what's the point of not playing these guys, letting them play through it on the ice, you know, because it's... It's not like the team is doing one better with or without them. And obviously with Skinner, he's a vet and the money. And if it's not an injury, if and, and they're not, I mean, this to me, I think is driving fans a little crazy this year uh, because it's a different type of season because it doesn't make too much. It doesn't really make any sense to me at all. Why not just play these guys? It doesn't, I don't know. Skinner can't help you off the ice mm-hmm. and how much, I mean, all the positive points that you added about him as a player and obviously warranted the kind of contract that he got. He's done the work. 
Mm-hmm. So it's just yeah. incredibly baffling, especially the Sabres, where they are as a franchise right now, where they are as far as this season is concerned. I think it's all hands on deck. It should be all hands on deck. Yeah. And I mean, I guess in, in Ralph's, you know, in Ralph's defense, he's kind of treated it that way. This, you know, Skinner being out has given Casey Middlestat a chance to get in the lineup and Middlestat's shown improvement, but Middlestat where he is in his career and where Skinner is in his career are in different spots. Middlestat has to prove himself every single game. Like he cannot let off the gas. Like, because he's at a point now where his future with Buffalo is is kind of on is kind of in debate because he you know he struggled his first three seasons you know he spent most of the last year in Rochester you know you know number eight pick you know huge expectations and you know he hasn't lived up to them yet and there's questions about you know how you know how is he going to make his way in his career is he still a guy that's going to be a top six guy you can say that about Lafreniere you can say that about Kako as well. You know, these guys are so early on in their career that, you know, the coach has to try to you have to figure out what the right balance is to try to work them into the lineup. Do you just throw them right in in the top six and say, all right, kid, figure it out against the best players in the world and yeah. and see how they develop from it. Now, some guys, they thrive on that. You know, the the Eichels do, the McDavid's do, uh, Dre Zadel, you know, all these guys, when they've gotten those opportunities, they've taken it and, and gone. Some of these other guys, I mean they're young, you know, they're teenagers. It takes, it takes a little bit to kind of find your way through. And you know, that Buffalo even has that with, with Dylan cousins cousins right now is firmly planted in on the second line with, with Taylor hall and Eric Stahl. That's, the, that's a great spot for him. He gets to learn from Stahl, and now he gets to find his way through and he's been playing really well, but not everybody moves at the same pace. Some guys take a few years. I mean, again, you can look at Edmonton. Yes. You pull your Yarby. You know, he looked like they were another failed Edmonton, you know, top pick that they were going to have to trade and he was going to have to go figure out his his life from there. He's playing really well this year. So, uh, you know, sometimes you need to to go elsewhere. You got to get away from the scene and you got to figure it out. But that's not the spot Skinner's in. Skinner is in his what, eighth, ninth year in the league, something like that. Yeah, this is I mean, this is it's a way different situation. You you bench a guy like that. It's it's a way bigger problem than it is sitting a rookie out because you're, you know, they got to get used to the pace. You know, you got to keep their energy up. It's a new, you know, new level of competition, all that stuff. Skinner's already shown he proves and he excels at this level and keeping him out of the lineup. You're either sending a, a message to him or the system is not meant for him. And w- which if, if it's, you know, if you're sending him a message, okay, it's on Jeff to get that figured out and, and apply it when he gets back in. If it's not a fit for the system, then it's up to the GM and the owners to decide, is this system worth going to battle with the guy that we just signed to a $72 million contract a couple years ago, or does the coach need to go? And the fact that we're in year two of Ralph Kruger and the last two or three coaches the Sabres have had have been out after two years, (laughs) I don't know if the clock's ticking for Ralph, but everybody in Buffalo is starting to look at their watch and go, you know... The last few coaches haven't made it this far, so maybe time's wasting for him, but it it does not feel that way at all for Ralph. Uh, It feels Ralph is firmly entrenched with with the team and with ownership that I think whatever he says is going to go because the owners believe in him and they have faith in him. So if that's the case, you got to tell the GM, you got to figure out, we got to figure out what we're going to do with Skinner because we can't can't have a guy that is not going to work for what the coach wants to do here for the next six years. Yeah, and you, which is have... which 
again, it, it's completely mind blowing <laughs> because before Skinner signed here, they had they had already hired Ralph Kruger that May, and then Skinner called Ralph, spoke to Ralph, and then decided he wanted to stay here for for eight years, seventy two million dollars. Which crazy, you know, if that's if that's what Jason Bottrell gave him, cool. You know, the GM's gone, but if yep. that's what the ownership demanded he gets, boy, uh, <laughs> ownership and the coach better be on the same page. Yeah, no doubt about it. No, it's uh, it's an interesting story. I mean, you talk about Eichel getting, getting traded. You, you Can you imagine? I mean, try try to unload Skinner's, <laughs> Skinner's contract right now in this league, just, you know, if it gets that way. But I'm hoping, you know, the Sabres... Through all of this, they've got to hang in there with Kruger. One way, you, you, you want to get three or four years to try and see what happens here on the one guy at least and kind of break up the monotony here a little bit uh, yeah. up in Buffalo. Last thing, Joe, before I let you go, um, really any need to make any big news about, you know, Eichel maybe being injured before camp? I mean, I'm sure that goes up and down the line through most of the teams in the league. Yeah, no, he, I mean, he was a little banged up beforehand. It was, um, I think it was a, a rib issue or something, or like a chest muscle issue that he had. I think he might have gotten a little bit nicked up at the end of the last game. Uh, he seemed to, you know, there was a little bit of like a lower lower body thing that that sort of threw him off towards the end of that game against the Devils. But but before the season, I mean, it was already known he was he had he had he was dealing with something. I mean, it happened before, you know, right before things got kicked off for this year or before camp. Um, supposedly it was like a you know it was like a weightlifting injury or something like that but i mean that's small potatoes kind of stuff if that's if that's still bothering him now then you know i mean that's that's his business but it's also you know maybe the team's got to be a little bit more open about <laughs> about these things <laughs> to let it know just be like NHL, you know man. hey you know there's a little bit more to this instead of just slapping an old day-to-day on it and you know walking away i mean hey, we got all these, you got, you know, the new Bally's deal with the NHL and they're doing all this gambling stuff. Like, guys, you, you can't just be clandestine about injury talk. Like, if people are going to be are going to be gambling money, like, just learn from the NFL. Like, you can make a mockery of it if you're the New England Patriots and you win six Super Bowls and you can you can put everybody in the injury list. But if it's a major player who can factor into a, a point line or a money line or a goal line, your over under lines, boy, you better. You better come true with that, or else uh, some guy, a couple of guys named Rocco and Knuckles are going to be showing up at, at the door. Yeah, I know a couple of those guys. I haven't had to be visited by them, but if I ever need them, I know I can call them. Uh, Joey, great stuff as always. Devils tonight, and then you'll get a change. You've got Philly coming up, and obviously uh, the Rangers and the Islanders next week for a couple. So by the time we get back out of here next week, the stories in Buffalo will continue to change. But... Uh, it's uh, no doubt, no dull stuff. Uh, as far as the, the standings, maybe, but the off-ice stuff, not dull in Buffalo at all. But, Joe, thanks so much, and have a great weekend, and stay healthy as always, buddy. Hey, you too, Paulie. Be good, man. All right. Joe Yarden, ladies and gentlemen, THS rolls on. All right, folks. It's that time to head up to the great white north in the great, beautiful city of Montreal. And bring in our good buddy, Mr. Costa Papoulias. Costa, some exciting times going on in Montreal. How you doing, brother? Welcome back to THS. Do we have anything to talk about, man? Buddy. I thought it was a quiet week. Never. And all of a, su- and all of a sudden, everything <laughs> exploded. I don't know, man. You were like Costradamus last week and a half. <laughs> did I knock all this? Like, Unbelievable, I totally- man. 
Yeah, I'm telling you. I, I, and, you know, and to a man, you listen to everybody, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, the people up here that, that work for TSN or, you know, anybody that's been working on the NHL network. And all you got to do is listen and they all say the same thing. You know, the Habs aren't playing in the middle. Even their general manager, Mark Bergevin, said in this press conference yesterday, they haven't been using the middle of the ice. They've been playing on the perimeter. So what does he do? He fires his head coach. I was a little surprised he fired Muller, to be honest. But, you know, the writing was on the wall for Claude Julien. I don't think uh, Mark Bergevin could afford to let his team go to another eight game losing streak, let alone two like last year. So uh, now the target is firmly on the head of Mark Bergevin to see whether or not Dom Ducharme can actually do the job. Yeah, so where do we start here? Um, you know, when you, when you kind of just quickly summarize it like that, especially with the uh, the eight-game spots that I think, you know, and for me, forgetting about last year, um, because you just think Claude Julien and, you know, past championship, uh, you know, what he brings to the franchise – everything else, uh, the, the fun run in the summer tournament last year, and, and here we are, you know, out of the gate, obviously playing very well against Vancouver, not so much about Ottawa. Um, is it more the Sens here, but uh, it's it's not so much. We joke about, you know, hey, it's the Sens that got them fired. I mean, obviously it it, it, it didn't help out, but, you know, where, where did it really go wrong? I mean, you were, you know, we were raving about them in the beginning. Uh, mm-hmm. The scoring was spread out. Defensively, they were playing great. Goaltending was, uh, you know, pretty steady there at the time. And you had talked about, you know, um, this, the, the, the system that Claude was running at the time was all good. And then, then he changed it. And yep. you, you had said that there, there wasn't a need for the change. Any, any way you can kind of focus in on that, maybe why? Because ultimately, it's, it's, it, it was consistent throughout that, that the change obviously had a huge effect on the team and ultimately leading to him getting fired. I think the focus of the change was primarily to try to get some guys that weren't scoring. And, and, and I'm talking specifically about Philip, Philip Deneau, uh, you know, I'll get, to get him off the schneid to get him on the score sheet because Philip Deneau is, is that type of player. He's the boy who's going to go out there. He's going to win you your face-offs, whether it's in the defensive or offensive zone. He's going to be able to get along the boards, dig the puck out, feed it back to whether it's a Shea Weber, like we saw in the game against Ottawa the other night or anybody else. And, and, you know, and, and be able to create that offense. And I think that he he was trying to create that sort of confidence that Dano was missing in his game. But by doing that, you're focusing solely on one particular player. And then the rest of the team starts to suffer because it creates sort of like confusion. It's like no team in the history of hockey has ever won by playing outside the dots. Yeah. And if you watch the last six or seven games of the Montreal Canadiens, that's what they've been doing. They play like, or more along the lines of an hourglass, where they'll, they'll get the puck out of their own zone using the sideboards. They'll funnel it towards the middle, and then all of a sudden it gets funneled to the outside. You know, and that, and that there and has been the problem. You know, and so now what you've got is you know a team that doesn't want to skate up the middle. They're moving the puck to the outside, and the defensive team all they have to do is protect the house in the in the defensive zone, and their money. And that's where the problem was. It's like you put in a system that just doesn't work. And, you know, I, I love Claude Julien. I've had the, the, the chance to meet him on a, a couple of occasions at some coaching clinics they had here in Montreal. And, and you know, he's a quality gentleman. He's a, he's, he's a good man. And, and it doesn't matter who you're talking to. They'll tell you the same thing. The problem, though, and it, this happens to every coach, is they become so dependent on their own beliefs and systems that they're, they're unable to think outside the box and they're not seeing what's going on. And, and therein lies the problem. And I think that's what happened to Claude. He went back to 
his money shot, which is, you know, play well in your own zone, you know, dig the puck out of the corners and create scoring chances when the team that he's been given has speed in transition. So the guys, you could see the confusion on the ice, Paul. And, and when you do that to your players, the message gets lost. That's what happened here. And even the games, the, I mean, the games against the Sens here, I mean, they beat Toronto after, you know, like we were talking last week, they were on that six-game break, they come back. The games against the Sens were close, and obviously, uh, you know, a little issue with the goal scored there uh, on the other night. But do you think it didn't matter whether or not if they had to beat Ottawa one way or the other, this was going to fall apart here for Julian Muller? I think the rating was already on the wall. Yeah, and like okay. I said, I'm not I'm not too sure why Muller got let go. I mean, in my mind, given what happened last year in the bubble, and I don't know if everybody, your listeners, knew about what was going on, but basically, when 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 Claude Julien had his heart issue, and Kirk Muller took over behind the bench, he made some changes that irked Claude Julien, and okay. I think that kind of affected their relationship. And I think moving forward, I think what Bergevin decided to do was just clean house and get rid of both of them so that there was no friction, you know, showing any favoritism towards Muller from Bergevin's perspective because he's letting Julien go. And I think he just wanted a clean slate. And that clean slate being Dom Ducharme, I liked the move. Not just do I like it, I love the move. Well, that's good. I want to talk about that. You know, he's won gold with... Yeah, you're talking about a coach who's won gold with Team Canada at the World Juniors, you know. And he showed his ability to communicate with players there and making adjustments real time throughout the tournaments that he was coaching. And he coached two of them, right? Um, you know, you look at his time with the Halifax Mooseheads. He coached Jonathan Drouin Jr. He coached Nathan McKinnon Jr. So he helped develop those two talents, right? So his ability to communicate with the younger players and work with veterans has been his strong point. And, you know, and whether you look at, you know, what was going on behind the Canadian's bench, every time there was a timeout or every time there was some kind of a discussion, here comes, you know, here comes Claude Julien, out of the way, and here comes Dom Ducharme. You know, and, and therein was the issue. You know, Ducharme had the ear of the players. Julien didn't have it anymore. I think moving forward, Ducharme's going to be able to make some subtle changes to get the team moving in the right direction. And after that, you know, he's going to need some extra time to be able to put his, his philosophies in place so the players fully understand what he wants to do. Um, yeah. So this is a team that, you know, Duchamp here inherits 9-5-4 and four after 18 games played, 22 points in fourth place here. Uh, you see teams like Edmonton making a bit of a move here uh, as far as the North Division is concerned. And so there's a lot going on around them. Obviously, the, uh, the losses to a team like the Senators don't help here. Um, Duchamp, like I said, he brings in a pretty good resume as far as, you know, myself. I wasn't aware of that. Obviously, you know, the juniors being aware of that. But in terms of winning a Memorial Cup uh, uh, in the past as well, too. So, you know. Young coaches, you know, like Quinn down here in New York, uh, Carlton in Chicago, um, you know, some have success, some don't. Um, and sometimes, you know, even Keith, like we talked about extensively last week, as far as, you know, him, you know, things are starting to happen in Toronto, that sometimes the timing might be right for these young kind of guys, um, not so much NHL experience, but bringing a, a bit of fresh air to a team um, and maybe turning a team's fortune a little bit. So, you know, you talk about it. We've talked about it here. So there's there's elements here for this team to be successful. And now it's going to be interesting to see, you know, his, you know, his hands on this team. Obviously, he's the guy on the side watching guys like Muller and, and, and uh, you know, Julian here, uh, you know, doing all the uh, the work the last, you know, couple of seasons. And now, so he, he's walking. He knows these guys. So what's your outlook for him 
you know, long run as far as maybe staying here? Uh, or is that just ultimately going to be obviously depending on the, on the wins and losses going forward? That's so going to be on the wins and losses. And it's going to also be, you know, a test to see whether or not he and Mark Bergevin can actually be on the same page long term. Because if that relationship between the GM and the coach isn't there, it creates friction as well, right? So you've got all that happening. And, and like I said, the Canadians have all the talent in the world to be able to move forward and actually have a competitive team on the ice. They showed that early on in the season before these changes were made. You know, I can see Ducharme going back to those things. I could see him tweaking the power play and then moving forward from there. And once he's done that, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how Bergevin reacts to what he wants because he is, after all, uh, a rookie coach in the National Hockey League as far as being a head coach is concerned. So now it's going to be incumbent on the general manager to see whether or not he can work with a guy that has fresh ideas that he's not used to. So there's a lot of different variables that go into it, right? So that's going to be the interesting key here for the Canadians. Can they do it on the ice? Absolutely. Can management do it off the ice? That in and of itself is going to be the big question. So Costa, you know, one more thing there on this, the, the change up here in Montreal on a, on a bigger scale. Uh, the franchise itself, you know, as far as signing free agents, money, the pressure of playing in Montreal, um, getting guys to stay, getting, you know, losing guys over the years and so on and so forth. Is there a bigger thing that's going on in Montreal? Um, obviously, they've had success here getting to conference final championships here in the 2000s and everything else. Um, but as far as getting bigger name players to, to, to help out here uh, for the long term and, and, and bringing Montreal back to the dominance that they used to always have in this league, uh, granted, it's 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 been sparse here, but you know when people think Montreal Canadiens, they're not used to this franchise, you know, struggling like other franchises because of their history and their status uh, in not only in the league but in the world as a as a famous franchise. Is there other issues here that you know Bergevin, the franchise, and uh, even the you know Dominic coming in here and taking this over that there's other things that are looming for this franchise uh, on a bigger scale for for down the road. Well, one of the things that everybody's clamored about here in Montreal, you know, whether you're a fan, whether you're media, media, it didn't matter, is the fact that over the years, I, you know, Montreal hasn't gotten as many top-round picks as they should have or they, or that they needed, right, in order to rebuild the team in, in, a, in a quicker timeline, right? Uh, they've had, in the past 10 years, they have a couple of third-round picks, one of them being Alex Galchenyuk, the other one being uh, Jesperi Kakanyemi a couple of years ago. You know, there's, there were all kinds of structural issues with the franchise that weren't there before. When you look at teams that were run by, you know, whether it was Selkie or Pollock or you, you could go down the line of the famous GMs in Canadian's history. One of the things that they always did is that the younger players were always surrounded by a veteran who would be able to show them the ropes. You look at Kakanyemi right now, he's surrounded by Armia and Lekin. And so he's, he's, you know, he's in a good place. When it was Brendan Gallagher's turn, you know, he was with Josh Georges. There were some things done, but when you look at the higher-end guys, like an Alex Galchenyuk, for example, he was left to his own devices, and he was allowed to live with his mom and dad. Big mistake. If you're going to develop a player, the one thing you have to do is you have to get him away from any bad influences. And this, in and of itself, was a misgiving of the management uh, team in Montreal. Whenever you're, 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 you're vetting a, a player, through the draft, right? You always have your interviews, you know? You want to find out about the player, the type of person he is. You know about the talent on the ice. That's obvious. But what you don't know is that the character, and you always question that, right? And there's a particular type of player that you need and a particular type of character that you need 
to play for every single franchise, whether your identity is to be a high-powered team on offense or a defensively-minded team. you got to have a certain type of mentality and character. Galchenyuk didn't have that. Why? Because he had his father in his ear. And that's where the team failed Galchenyuk. There were other players. You look at Mike Ribeiro. You look at Guillaume Latendresse. Those are all players, local players, who are allowed to stay within their own elements. Big mistake. And therein lies the problem with this franchise. Mm -hmm. When you had guys like Guy Lafleur or Jean Beliveau or the Burchard brothers, or you look at any number of the superstars that this team had up and down. Patrick Waugh didn't live with his own parents. And they live in Quebec City. He didn't live with his own parents. He lived in town with a veteran. And that was because of Serge Chavard and what Savard went through when he was a rookie. So the understanding was there from one to the other. Bergevin should have known about this. Bergevin was a rookie at one point in the National Hockey League, and he was living with a veteran at the time. And I think that was uh, that was with the I, if it was if it wasn't the Ducks, it was with the St. Louis Blues. I, I'd have to check my numbers, but at the end of the day, he knows about how that system works. He knows about what it's like to be a young player in a league where you're making money. And, and and so when you don't do that as a franchise, you're failing your players, you're failing your front fans, and you're failing your owner. And that's where this team has to turn it around. Well, that's going to be the interesting thing to see. I mean, like I said, you you, you just – I mean, obviously making the headlines here gets the Habs back <laughs> on the top of the uh, the pages across sports, uh, you know, down here in the low 49th and everything else. But – um, you know, those challenges that you bring up and, and you know, just for fans outside of Montreal trying to understand what's going on up there. Um, but in, in, in anything with uh, Duchamp going in here tonight and, um, you know, they've got four games coming up with Winnipeg uh, as far as the next five or six are concerned. they got Ottawa one more time and then two more with Vancouver before Calgary. And then, geez, they play Winnipeg again. And, oh, my God, this, the schedule is just... It gets, I guess it gets a little monotonous after a while, too. But there's got to be some excitement here, I guess. Are you guys excited at least a little bit to to get the clean slate with uh, him starting tonight uh, in Winnipeg? It's it's the first thinking that everybody's excited about. Okay. Uh, you know, it's not a retread. And that's the biggest thing about, you know, another one of those things that Montreal has always done. Because of the language issue, they've always brought back, you know, uh, coaches that speak French. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much because they need him to run the bench. It's to, to, to appease the media. The fans don't even care. As long as the team's winning, the fan could care less, right? And But the media drives the market. So what happens is they need to have a French-speaking coach in order to have their you know post-game press conferences. And it's not like these, these, these reporters in French don't speak English either. They're fully bilingual, by the way. Mm-hmm. So what the reasoning is, it, it's to me, it's garbage. Nonetheless, they've had all these retouches, whether it's Michel Terrier being the coach twice in the Montreal Canadiens or whether it's Claude Julien being the coach twice in the Montreal Canadiens. You know, it's always veteran coaches that they bring back, you know, and, and, and people don't want to see that anymore. They know it's a different league with a different style of play and you need a different type of thinking. And that's what Dominic Ducharme brings to the table. And, you know, add Alex Burroughs to that mix as an assistant coach and he's been doing wonderful work down in the American Hockey League. You've got a, 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 a real good team along with Luke Richardson, who's, you know, he's been behind the bench now as a defensive coach uh, for quite a few years between Ottawa and Montreal. Now he's got that, he's going to be that veteran voice behind the bench with two rookie coaches that are going to be able to move forward and bring fresh ideas to a team that's in desperate need of them. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm, uh, 
I'm feeling good about uh, Deshaun here. You know, like I said, just kind of looking up and seeing what he did with the Memorial Cup and obviously what he did with that uh, gold medal team up in Canada. And, uh, you know, um, hopefully some good, uh, you know, fresh flowing juices here to keep Montreal Canadian fans like you and the rest of you is fired up and, uh, and, uh, and going here. So it's always good stuff. So never boring up there in Montreal. So it kicks off tonight, the new regime for Dominic uh, Duchamp uh, against the Winnipeg Jets. Last thing, um, Costa, before I let you go, is just a little take, obviously, on the Canadian division here a little bit. Maybe just kind of focus a little bit on Edmonton, who's crept back into the second-place spot behind the Leafs. What's your take on their play of late last week? Well, Edmonton's Edmonton. Like we said last week, if their team offensively works, you know, and plays well, and they get good goaltending, and since Mike Smith has been back, he and and and, and Koskinen have been splitting the net. So yeah, they've gotten good goaltending, and Koskinen isn't as burnt out as he was while Mike Smith was out. So now you've got solid goaltending, you've got a defense that still needs work, but you know it's led by Darnell Nurse, and then you've got the offense, you know, of Leon Draisaitl. Uh, you know, Connor McDavid, who's scoring some really ridiculous goals lately, including not looking at the net when he shoots. <laughs> and, you know, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And, we used to and, do and that when we were younger, one. right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And we used to place beer bets on whether or not we'd actually hit the top corner. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know that story. But, you know, they're, they're firing in all cylinders right now. And so is that going to be sustainable? I don't think it is. But, you know, and, and I think that whether it's the Canadian division or any other one of the divisions in the National Hockey League, there's going to be ebbs and flows when it comes to who sits on top. I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting for Toronto to hit that, you know, oops, I did it again part where they just start into this funk that they have no business being in. That's mm-hmm. coming. You know, I'm waiting for Calgary to get back into their winning ways because they're more than capable of doing it. I'm, I'm waiting for the Jets to get their act together, and it's starting to come together, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's always good for, 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 for you know, all the Canadian teams to do well because, you know, I'm biased. But in Ottawa, Ottawa, like, like, like we've talked about, DJ Smith has them thinking the right way. They're learning their defensive game and augmenting their offense as they go along. By the time the season is up and game 56 rolls around, the Ottawa Senators are going to be a well-balanced team. And they may even creep into a playoff spot. You heard it here first. <laughs> if they continue doing what they're doing, you know. But you know, it's gonna like I said, there's gonna be ebbs and flows. And I'm not surprised Edmonton is in that second spot. I'm not surprised Toronto's in that first spot. That's gonna change. And I'm not saying that because of the Habs. I'm saying that in general, that's gonna change because the division is just built that way. And there's gonna be that ebb and flow. And you're gonna see a team like Calgary spit off five or six wins back to back to back and all of a sudden they're going to be sitting in that second spot and Edmonton's going to drop down because they're going to lose a handful of games it's just fun because there's no real consistency yet and there's not going to be because of the way the season's rolling out well that's all good stuff to to kind of just keep tabs on as we go forward here with the next week uh especially what's going on in that division and obviously um coach Duchamp taking over in Montreal so we'll have Lots more to talk about next week, buddy, when we fire this thing up again. So, as always, Costa, thank you so much. Uh, Enjoy the game tonight. Don't stress out too much over the next week. Stay safe and healthy and have a great weekend, buddy. You got it, brother. All right. Costa Papalias, ladies and gentlemen, joining us every week as he does, talking some North Division, some Canadian hockey, and obviously the Montreal Canadiens who got their work cut out for them with the new coach. And with that, THS rolls on. All right, it's time to go out to the great city of Chicago and bring in our good friend, Mr. Tab Bamford, and we'll talk some Central Division hockey as well as those entertaining Chicago Blackhawks. Tab, what's going on, brother? Welcome back. 
You know, uh, last week we talked, and it was frigid, disgusting, awful. We were digging out of what felt like 12 feet of snow. A couple 47-degree days in Chicago, so we got the shorts out. And because, uh, you know, that's what you do when it's 47. Um, <laughs> no, life, life, life is good, man. All is well. Good, How man. are you doing? Good to hear it, man. Same thing. The snow's melting here on Long Island, so it's a good thing. And I'm, uh, you get teased here a little bit at the end of February. You, you figure we're probably going to get one more punch of snow, so you don't want to get too excited. But uh, it'll uh, it'll snow on opening day for the Cubs and or White Sox, guaranteed. Yeah. And the Rockies. It'll be too, it'll be yeah. sixty for a while before that, and then <laughs> the bottom will fall out. No doubt about it. So in the meantime, while we're waiting for the springtime, we've got some exciting times going on not only here in. Uh, Chicago, but uh, around the league, um, I definitely want to get, I'm get, asking everybody's uh, opinion here, obviously, first out of the gate, the uh, the firing there in Montreal with Claude Julian and Muller. I uh, just want to get your take on that a little bit uh, and maybe uh, just talk about the Lake Tahoe games uh, before we get into the, the Hawks and this Central Division. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the easy one to check the box with is Tahoe. I think it was gorgeous environment thought they did a terrific job no fans to put it somewhere that was picturesque um hard to imagine a more beautiful place for them to play hockey uh but i think the afternoon start was probably a little aggressive uh, i'm glad that they were able to rearrange stuff the following day and make it a night start so that you had better ice conditions um you don't want to see anybody get hurt obviously enough teams are fighting injuries much less uh covid and things like that that you don't want to showcase game to result in anything significant. So uh, I thought good hockey, good teams, uh, and again, it was beautiful. So kudos to the league for getting some outdoor time this year. Um, With Montreal, um, you know, I I think, you know, Bergevin, who, you know, that press conference that he held looking like he was an extra in the movie Boogie Nights. um, I mean, between... Between the salad, the butterfly collar, and the suit choice, it was just a lot to take in. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think, you know, when he said, now it's on me, yeah, you know, at some point, you, know, you can only change coaches so many times as a GM before ultimately that responsibility falls in your lap. So um, they're going to be a fascinating team. You know, for a while there, they were playing like the best team in the NHL. They were beating everybody that they rolled up against, and you know, you go lose a couple in a row. I think ultimately the the death blow for Julian was that they took last year and this year Ottawa and Detroit completely for granted. And you just, if you want to be a legit contender, you cannot be losing as many games to the crust on the bottom of the fishbowl as they have over the last couple of years. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, if, if Claude Julian hangs him up or if, or if you find somewhere to resurface, but I mean, they've got some work to do. You know, Winnipeg is playing pretty well now that they've settled down post line. A. Edmonton's still not playing defense, but they're rolling people and, you know, McJesus looks like he's ready to take home some more hardware and, yep. and Toronto is still Toronto. They're, they're, they're playing great team hockey. So uh, it's a tough spot for Montreal, but you know, as long as Edmonton keeps giving up goals and the bottom of that, Canadian division keeps struggling to consistently play defense. Seven teams, four of them make the playoffs, so I think they should be able to get in. But the fact that Calgary is 
you know, even though Montreal's got two games in hand, Calgary's nipping at their heels is not good enough for how they started the season. So it, timing was interesting, but uh, but I think it, when you pull the trigger on something like that, it's been something that's brewing for a while. So um, so we'll see how see how things change there because any in season coaching change leads to uh, new dynamics in the room on the ice, uh, and it'll be very interesting to see how things develop for the Habs. And with that said, Tab, uh, get your take on, you know, 21 games, 23 games into the season now for a couple of teams. Do you think the firing here of Claude Julian might start a little trend here, maybe on a couple of teams, obviously not the bulk of, uh, um, you know, the guys behind the bench here, but, you know, you, you take a guy like Quinn who's having his ups and downs in a rebuild year, um, you know, uh, you, know you, you look at uh, what's going on maybe in Vancouver with Travis Green, um, if Colorado... You would only want to say it maybe, but, you know, with all that talent, it seems to be kind of a little kind of curious in terms of what's going on there. But anything that maybe stands out there that maybe you might see another change here going on uh, in the league behind another bench? Yeah, well, I mean, with Colorado, they've been absolutely crushed by injuries the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So when you have, you know, the lion's share of your probably top nine players wandering in and off of, missing time that's a tough situation for any coach so um and they've only played 16 games so we'll see how things progress as as they get guys back healthy uh and as they catch up in the games played i mean i I think the most logical places that you you want to look for coaches that are going to be you know maybe updating their linkedin um you know I, i think the islanders have underwhelmed uh, the Rangers certainly not ideal. Bottom of that division, Buffalo's got to figure something out. Um, I think that 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 falls on the players more than the the guy behind the bench. But usually, the guy behind the bench is easier to replace than the guys on the ice. So, Buffalo's a tough one. And then I've been harping on it since we started this show. But Nashville just continues yeah. to, uh, you know, they've won their last two, but four six zero in their last ten, three six zero on the road. Uh, and again, that 57 goals against, I mean, they're giving up three a game. They're barely getting two a game. It's no bueno. So, uh, and then the other one, Dallas. I mean, Dallas is two, four, and four in their last 10. Obviously, the COVID layoff is a big deal. Uh, the weather down there and the, and the games that they lost because of that big deal. They've only played eight at home so far. Uh, but, you know, Dallas, I think, was a team that people expected right or wrong. I mean, obviously there's no Sagan, but, um, but people expected more from Dallas. And, and so you look at Dallas and Nashville, I think in the central are a couple of teams to keep an eye on if somebody wants to make a coaching change. Yeah, no, I think those are good points and good teams to, uh, to kind of focus on here. All right. So look, uh, as far as this, um, you know, the Chicago Blackhawk team, uh, a little bit of break here in between games since we last spoke, um, loss of the Canes five, three last Friday, uh, and another 6-5 game here against uh, Columbus uh, on Tuesday, and they're back at it tonight. Um, I, we were joking about it. I was bringing it up. I said it's got to be a lot of fun to play uh, torts in Columbus as many times as you guys get to do it. But um, 20 games played, 10-6-4, 24 points, uh, fourth place. Um, you know, that game the other night, down twice a couple of times in the game and coming back and spreading the scoring around. Uh, as they've been. Um, so, I mean, not too much has changed maybe with as far as the team and the standings and as far as they've been playing, but uh, give me a little summary on what you've seen uh, this past week since we spoke last week. Any changes, anything you like, or is it pretty much stay the same? 
I, you know, I, I think a lot of it's been status quo. I think Lankin and, you know, I, so the, the Saturday game in Carolina ended up getting banged because with the power outages in Dallas and the Blackhawks being well in front of, you know, most of the rest of the division. Obviously, they and Columbus have both played 20. Detroit has lost most of 21. Um, but the NHL made the decision to retool the schedule a little bit um, and try and get Tampa uh, on the ice. So uh, they're still playing catch up from the start of the season. So they got to reschedule there. Um, I mean, Lincoln and look, the, the game on Tuesday night uh, against Columbus, uh, high scoring. Uh, the Blackhawks did not do a ton to help Lincoln in defensively in front of him. There were undoubtedly a few that he would want back. But um, when it mattered, at the end of regulation, they had a really good couple looks at the net right at the close. Uh, he was able to shut the door. And then the Blackhawks barely touched the puck in overtime. And frankly, the only reason that they had the opportunity to get that game to a shootout was because of Lankinen. So he continues to play well. Hagel got on the board for the first time. He's the fifth Blackhawk rookie to score his first NHL goal this season. So the kids wow. keep contributing. And Patrick Kane... Uh, you know, I think at, we've reached a point in the season now where you're about closing in on 40% of the way in for Chicago. We've got to put Patrick Kane on the short list for the heart right now. Yeah. Um, what, what he has done this season, uh, you know, coming in, you know, 30 points in 20 games, which, you know, impressive. The Blackhawks power play, I think a lot of people would point to that and say, well, the Blackhawks power play is doing work. Well, 20 of his 30 points have come at even strength. Um, so he is really driving a lot of the offense for Chicago. And he's got, you know, 20 points in, in the month of Jan uh, February, rather. So, I mean, he's playing heavy minutes. He He's starting to take on that Duncan Keith ageless mm -hmm. look where he just keeps getting better every day. And, you know, he dropped that spinorama into a backhand against Carolina that just makes you drool. So, I mean, Patrick Kane's got to be in that on that short list for the heart right now because he's he's really carrying a team that most people had written off this year and now has become a viable playoff team in this division. And, and as as Kane, outside of his offensive skills, you know, he's not the biggest guy in the league. Um, you, you're you're watching these guys game in and game out. As far as his play away from the puck, and also, is he getting run? Is he holding up? As far as um, you know, taking a beating or not taking a beating. I mean, talking about that as far as, you know, obviously he's a veteran player. He's played through some of the toughest playoff series ever, you know, winning those cups, um, you know, experience hand down. But, you know, he is a little older right now, and he does, he is carrying all this weight. And granted, on the score sheet, he's, um, he's definitely uh, full marks for that. But do you see something different as far as uh, his physical play, how he's handling other things besides putting the puck in the net that's also – um, you know, making him such a leader on this team to the point that if he was to go down and injure anything else uh, or anything else like that, is is the, is the way he's the, the scoring's being spread out, his effect on the other players would would the team be all right? Um, you know, without him, I don't even want to go there, but it, it's more back to like his survival right now, uh, taking the reins of this team, not only scoring, but I wanted to know exactly you know how he's playing physically. Well, yeah, I mean... Man, I'm going to edit that tab. That was a ridiculous question. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. No, I mean, look, I mean, he came into the league at like 160 pounds. 
um, sopping wet and he has become physically stronger. I think a lot of people take for granted how strong Kane is and he's become smarter with how he, how he takes contact. And I know a number of the defensemen back in the day spoke about how much they learned about absorbing contact and playing through contact from Brian Campbell. And I think that Keith certainly was one of those players that gave a lot of credit to Brian Campbell. Um, So, you know, when you look at Patrick Kane, um, he's become certainly a more defensively responsible player than he was uh, at a younger age. Without Taves, I think he's acknowledged and accepted a, a much stronger leadership role in the room. Would the Hawks survive if he missed any significant time? No. Um, you know, I think he's done a ton to help Alex Dabrinkit, who struggled mightily last year after signing a, a nice extension. He's helped him bounce back really well this year since Dabrinkit came back from missing games with COVID. He has really been dynamic. He, he's been the guy that they paid. Uh, so Dabrinkit certainly is taking another step in developing and learning a lot from playing next to a guy like Kane, which I think you would imagine just watching a guy like Kane sets a lofty bar, but uh, Debrinket has benefited from that. But no, I mean, if you take Kane out of the lineup, the Hawks' offense is going to struggle tremendously. Now, he changes everything, and to his credit, I think over the last few years, he's done a much better job of playing with uh, an assortment of players and not getting stuck in a role with specific guys. Because for a while there, the hardest thing for Joel Quinville to do was find players to put on the ice with Patrick Kane, especially at the center and opposite wing spots, who saw the game and anticipated the game at the speed that Kane does. This is a guy who tries passes that other people simply don't see. You know, I think you look, think back, you know, Sidney Crosby is one of those guys. Pavel Datsuk was one of those guys. They see plays, they see gaps that don't exist. Uh, they seemingly bend physics with what they do with the puck at times. And so I think Kane's done a great job over the last few years of realizing that and being able to play with younger players, players of different skill levels, and raise the bar for everybody around him. So, um, you know, I, I, he's said this year that playing with such a young team has kind of reinvigorated him. But certainly, you know, I think the fact that young guys are scoring, when we started this at the beginning of the season, we talked about how's Kane going to hold up if nobody else on the team puts the puck in the net? Because mm-hmm. uh, he's obviously going to be targeted. Uh, and now you've got guys like Kubalik, Dabrinkit, Kurashev, uh, even Yanmark, who are coming along and doing a good enough job, Suter as well, uh, on different lines at different times, that I think Kane's got more freedom on the ice to do the special things that he can because other people around him are, are doing a good job with the puck. And, you know, it speaks to the fact that he's only scored nine goals thus far and he's got 21 helpers. That speaks to the ability that he's had to change the game at five on five. Good stuff. And, you know, for all of us who aren't watching the team game and get out, game out, is there anybody on the team that you think is maybe um, letting the team down or is there a player or something that you wish you'd uh, see more out of, or get more out of? Is there anybody in, in Colleton's doghouse at all? I'm not sure that there's anybody really in Colleton's doghouse. I think because you don't have a Doc and Taves, you know, it's kind of, he's, I think Colleton's benefited from being able to roll guys through without the expectation of ice time in many situations. 
Um, so I don't know that there's anybody that for more than maybe a period ha- has really been stuck in the doghouse. You know, I, I, when, when you talk about guys that could elevate their game a little bit, I think a lot of folks would like to see a little bit more from Nikita Zadorov. He's been physical. He's been a wrecking ball, and that's great. Um, not the greatest skater in the league. He's given you almost 19 minutes a night. Um, and he's not been, I think, more nights than not, he, he's struggled to make the play. And when you see the Hawks the other night against Columbus and, you know, with, with a team like Carolina, the, some of the young Hawks defensemen do a good job of handling the puck, exiting the zone. Duncan Keith obviously has been doing it for what feels like 40 years now. Um, but, you've seen a lot of grenades from Zadorov, And so you'd like to see more from him uh, or, you know, obviously he's a guy that's going to be, you know, eligible for Seattle. Um, so that, that might be an option there. The other guy that I look at is Dylan Strom. They brought him back for a couple years. He's been abysmal at the dot. Um, and so far, I mean, four goals, four assists in 19 games. For a guy that fancies himself to be a, a you know second line center, possibly a top line center, you know you can't be sitting at 46, 47 percent at the dot, only have eight points in 19 games. So, and of that, six of the eight points have come with the advantage. So he's only got two even strength points in 19 games. That's not good enough. So, the two guys that I want to see more from are, are Dylan Strom and Nikita Zadorov, but. You know, they've been balanced by some of these young guys that are playing much better hockey than anyone expected. Uh, you know, Matthias Janmark, 11 points in 20 games. I think a lot of people saw what numbers he had produced in the past and said, hey, you know, this is a guy that might give us, you know, 20 points this year. And he's at 11 already. So uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of good on this roster. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys I think are playing up to or exceeding expectations or creating loftier expectations. But I want to see more from Zadorov and Strom. I hear that. All right, so let's uh, – With you got this game against here, Columbus. Uh, let, you know, for all of us who aren't watching these games uh, close, uh, after they play Columbus tonight, you got a couple more with Detroit, and then you got a, a boatload coming up against uh, Tampa Bay, Dallas, and Florida. And my first question is – the, is there a little bit of a rivalry going on here with Columbus in terms of these games, how they've played? Um, is there any kind of – is it been respectful, I guess, between Colleton and Torts in terms of uh, how the games have been played? Um, I haven't seen too many storylines coming out of these games as far as, you know, um, you know, bad checks or fights or anything like that. So that's my first question as far as a little bit of a rivalry here going on with Columbus. And this game tonight will be the last time they see each other for a couple of weeks. And then are you happy as a fan here uh, to get a good mix of, um, you know, a couple of different teams? A couple, I guess, more than anything, especially with Tampa and then playing the former coach, uh, Quenville in Florida, um, you know, some some challenging uh, games coming up against the Bolts. Yeah, so, you know, the other night, you know, Tuesday night, Patrick Kane took a pretty big hit in the third period. And um, I think if you were watching Twitter, a lot of people said, oh, you know, he deserves it. Uh, other people said, you know, how is that not a major? Anytime a superstar gets hit heavily, um, people are going to complain. And other and the home team, are, in this case, is, their fans are going to justify the physical contact because you haven't stopped him. I mean, Patrick Kane has absolutely owned Columbus this year it's, and last year. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, I do think that there's a, that there, there's a growing sense of 
Um, I, I think they have fun playing against each other because they've been pretty high-scoring affairs. The Blackhawks have no answer for Patrick Laine still. I think we talked about that after the trade. He's been a headache when he was in Winnipeg, and he's been a headache now. Um, you know, and, and I think that once he got done getting stapled to the bench by a torch, he's found another gear. Um, so it'll be good to get away from him when you look at Tampa and Florida. I mean, this is where I think the Blackhawks are competing right now in the standings with Columbus for that four spot. But the real benchmark for how you're playing as a team is when you go up against the Alphas in the division. And right now, Florida and Tampa are the clearly the two best teams in the division. You know, I think Carolina's in that mix too, but the tough thing for them is, you know, they've got their second of two in Tampa uh, coming up, and then they've got two in Florida, and they're not going to have Teravine in for any of those because of a concussion he suffered after a big hit from Zadorov in the Blackhawks. So um, so Carolina's kind of in a tough spot because Teravine's a guy that really does a terrific job in a lot of ways for them, and, and I think he quietly stirs the drink for them in a lot of ways. So uh, it'll be good for the Blackhawks to, you know, get a chance to feel pretty good about themselves against Detroit. But then you want to have litmus tests. You want you want to really go at it. And when you're only playing one division, um, it becomes even more important to get points when you can. And the Hawks have got a point in the standings in 13 of, I think, their last 16 games, which is ridiculous. Um but you really want to see how you measure up against those top teams. And with the way that the season started in Tampa and in Florida with 20 goals against in four games, I think you're going to want to see them have a much better defensive effort against two teams that can put the puck in the net at will. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think these next three weeks here, uh, as far as the Hawks go, uh, and hopefully with no COVID pauses and reschedulings, um, it'll be um, a nice different mix to, to kind of, you know, gauge the Hawks on as far as playing, uh, like I said, the Alphas that you're talking about. Uh, great points. And, and to kind of really find out, like, you know, I had asked you last week if, if you thought the Hawks were for real um, and you agree that they possibly can uh, get into it. But the, the test coming up next month and, and you know, it's it's crazy with this 56-game season now, we'll be getting into close to pushing 30 games here. And um, do you find it going fast tab or is it, um, with all the, the breaks in between games here and the pauses, uh, is it, um, is it a nice slow and easy feel for you as far as, uh, not only watching the Hawks, but the rest of the league too? Well, you know, when you look at the fact that the Hawks have played 20 games so far, they have, it, it's been, a, I would characterize it as a comfortable metronome for the Blackhawks where they are generally getting, you know, three or four games a week. Um, you know, the, last week they lost a Saturday game with Carolina because of the reschedule. Nothing that they had to do with that, but obviously the NHL doesn't want Tampa playing 30 games in 12 days at the end of the season. Um, so I think as long as you're getting your three, four games a week, um, it's easy for a team to get comfortable and develop chemistry and get in a good rhythm. Um, you know, the Hawks have got a nice little homestand coming up again after tonight in Columbus. And then they've really got a, a critical road trip, you know, two in Dallas, two in Florida, two in Tampa. And then they come home for Florida for two. That stretch will really, I think, go a long way. And that's after three home games in four days against Tampa um, to start the month of March. That stretch will go a long way in determining the Blackhawks' legitimate playoff hopes, but also, I think, what they do at the deadline. 
Um, obviously, we've talked about at the beginning of the season, who the hell do they have? Well, I think now they've identified that they might have too many pieces in a few places, and they could actually sell from a position of depth uh, and look at grabbing some additional assets uh, for the future, if possible, especially with some of the teams that are struggling defensively, and that being where the Hawks certainly have a pretty good bounty of, of bodies right now. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it's felt long. I think that when you have a gap like the Hawks did from a, you know, a, a Friday to a Tuesday, when you don't have anything on the weekend, it feels like forever. Yeah. But right now the Hawks are looking at, you know, Saturday, Sunday, Friday, Sunday, pretty much every week. So as long as you I think you can keep that metronome going, it's easy to keep guys in the groove. Yeah. And keep guys away from injuries. So, uh, Look, I mean, if Kaner can stay healthy through this and keep carrying the team and keep teaching the young guys and, and Lankin, can, Lankin can keep doing his thing in nets, um, who'd have thunk we'd be talking about the Hawks this way? But it is. It's fun. It's exciting. Uh, it's great for the team and the city and the franchise. So hopefully he keeps uh, running up here in this central division, which is just uh, a ton of fun. And uh, last thing before you go, on your way out the door, Tab, um, any news on uh, Panarin and, and Russia? Got any inside? No, I think the, the the reality there is, you know, the KHL has said that they, they didn't know anything about the incident. His teammates have come to his defense. Uh, the coach who made the accusations, um, pretty staunch Putin supporter, provided the initial report to a, a media outlet that is owned by a staunch Putin reporter, uh, or supporter rather, um, I think the fact that the Rangers were as outspoken in their support of Panarin in the wake of the accusation speaks volumes because obviously domestic violence is something that every sport mm-hmm. takes seriously and should take increasingly seriously. I, there's no such thing as taking it seriously enough. Um, but I do think that it, it's hard to ignore the likelihood of there being political motivations behind this, especially when you realize that you've got a Winter Olympics coming up in the not-too-distant future and there are many uh, on the Putin side of the argument in Russia who don't want players who don't line, align themselves with Putin uh, involved in the Olympic team for Russia. So um, I'm sure that if it, you know, we'll get as much information as we can. Obviously, the NHL and the Rangers are going to do their due diligence as much as they can. But this is an, these are accusations that are more than 10 years old uh, and in Russia. And I, I don't have to tell you how, you know, skeptical we need to be or should be about yeah. anything that comes out of Russia right now. So, um, you know, it, it's unfortunate. Um, it's a headache for the Rangers. It, it's a terrible situation for Panarin, his family and friends. Um, but it, it's really hard to ignore um, the realities and, and some of the political undercurrent that undoubtedly played a role in this being you know, reported. Crazy stuff, man. Hopefully it all works out, especially for Panarin and his family. And like I said, we just got to cross our fingers here and hopefully he gets exonerated on this. And unfortunately, it doesn't look like we're going to have a Rangers-Blackhawks-Stanley Cup uh, final this year uh, either way. But uh, we can dream. Tab, as always, yeah. a great spot. Appreciate you coming on and talking some Hawks and uh, Central Division hockey. Stay safe and healthy, and we'll catch you next week. Have a great weekend, buddy. You too, brother. Talk to you soon. Tab Bamford, ladies and gentlemen, as always here on THS, talking Hawks and Central Division hockey on THS. And THS rolls on. All right, it's that time to head on out to the West Coast, the left coast, 
the best coast. It all depends on where you are. But either way, it's time to bring on our good buddy from the great state of California, Mr. Steve Palumbo. Stevie, what's going on, pal? Welcome back to THS. Uh, I just love that intro. I'm doing great, buddy. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. My uh, my top winger on my New York Rangers team is can't play hockey because he's involved in some political hit, or we think, or we don't know. But uh, that is a crazy story, man. Wishing well, wishing him the best right now. Yes, absolutely. So uh, Rangers are trying to find their way here, but we're not here to talk about my New York Strangers. We are here to talk about the New Jersey Devils and, of course, the uh, Western Division here uh, in this National Hockey League 56-game condensed season that is rolling on into its sixth week. So I'm going to hold off on the Devils until the end and switch things up here a little bit. And let's start in Los Angeles, where the Kings have won six in a row, Mr. Palumbo. What is going on? Knocking on St. It's, Louis's door. What's the story? It's because I said they sucked and, and yes! that they were going to be the I've bottom. Got the quote here from last week. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's unreal what they're doing. I mean, what Dustin Brown is doing. Uh, he's top five in goals scored. Uh, you know, the the thing with with LA right now is they're not just doing it with uh, their goaltending, which has been red hot. Uh, they're just they're playing an all around just great game, and you know they've. You know, we talked about St. Louis and having those 10 games against the uh, California teams and what it could mean for them. And, you know, they've lost three in a row, throw three in a row, two to two to uh, L.A. and one to, to San Jose. So, um, man, something else. I mean, Cal Peterson with the save percentage over 930. Uh, Jonathan Quick looking like his former self. Drew Doughty playing like the 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 superstar that he once was. I mean, you're getting contributions up and down that lineup just really fun team to watch right now. And they're, they're, I mean, this is not a fluke. They're playing really solid hockey right now. And, and they are knocking on, on St. Louis's door and they're currently in a playoff spot right now. And so, you know, things are looking, uh, are at least entertaining and fun in LA right now. You know, it's funny. I asked you last week if the Kings and we're getting any headlines and sure enough, uh, they are, um, which now is they are good. Yep. Yeah, it's a good turnaround uh, for the Kings, no doubt about it. Um, I think when the Kings are playing good in, in, in Cali and L.A., it just brings uh, a little more attention to what's going on. Obviously, a lot of big stars there uh, as far yep. as um, that franchise and, and, and those guys trying to swing back to the, the dominance that they did have uh, here in the early uh, to late 2000s, um, you know, swinging back and winning a couple of Stanley Cups. Um, as far as the rest of the league, uh, the rest of the division here, um, you know, Vegas still doing their thing here, um, played in the Lake Tahoe thing. What do you think of the Lake Tahoe uh, while we're on it there as far as uh, the NHL putting that on up and asking all the guys what they thought about it? I mean, it was beautiful. I mean, uh, you know, I understand what they were trying to do by getting the games in early. You wanted to be able to get that background, but, but that second game with the sun setting, that was unreal. Just the, the sight lines there. And, and um, I thought the first day was I, I wasn't sure they were going to get the game in. The ice was absolutely terrible for that first period. But I like that they were able to to adjust on the fly and get the game in. Turned out to be a pretty decent game. Um, I thought the whole event overall was was really nice. I, I That area up there is so beautiful. Having those mountains back there and the trees. And it was just the... You know, another way for the NHL to showcase its product. 
I know the NHL doesn't want to do any more things without fans, but if you can get these outdoor games in other locations with no fans and just kind of put them in these rural areas, I mean, how cool would a game be in Mystery Alaska? I mean, that would be amazing. But, uh, uh, buddy, just, buddy, just when a, they get fans, this, you're, we're going to see like 25 stadium games per year. I <laughs> know. To make I up know. so much money. <laughs> the stadium games don't have the same kind of effect as this did. This was just so beautiful. I mean, if anyone's ever played out on the pond, it kind of just brought you back to that moment. You can see the players are really enjoying themselves. Ah, it's just a cool event. Yeah, but you got to figure, like I said, you, you need to sell tickets. You need people. You know, maybe the, yeah. I don't know what kind of situation. Obviously, it's it's easy enough to say, Captain Obvious here in terms of you know building a rink, say in Central Park with a crowd around it or something like that. Right. I mean, um, that'll be something to have to do. Unfortunately, I just think with uh, you know security and protocols right now and everything else, we're a long way for, away from it. But um, yeah, it was good stuff. Again, I commend the league for for doing anything to uh, to mix it up here uh, in a, in a condensed season where we've lost games like the, the stadium series and the winter classic and the all-star game. So, uh, it was fun to I mean, see and love the retro Jersey. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, as far as uh, what else is going on here in this division, um, we have to talk about, um, the Minnesota wild here, Zuccarella and, uh, Karisov or Karazov. I'm terrible with names, but, um, <laughs> yeah, th- thanks bud. Appreciate it. I know you're awesome <laughs> with them. Um, but these guys are lighting up the the scoreboard a little bit, bringing a little excitement there in Minnesota. I was just talking to Tab here about uh, Colorado a little bit because I was trying to get into um, head coaching positions. You know, obviously with Claude Julian being fired, and uh, you know, I, I'm I'm not saying it. I shouldn't have brought up Colorado because he reminded me that they're going through a lot of injuries here. But I think, yes. you know, with that said, there's been ex- expectations for Colorado. So it's a bad example as far as coaching. But what I want to ask you is is obviously your take on, on the Wild, how they're playing. Arizona now, we were talking a little bit in terms of their off-ice stuff. They're actually playing pretty well themselves. A couple of wins in a row here. But down at the bottom, as far as San Jose is concerned and Anaheim, could you see a coaching change happening in either of those two cities? In San Jose or Anaheim? Yeah, you know, I know that Dallas Eakins seat is starting to get pretty hot. I mean, especially the fan base has been pretty vocal. They, they're not really – people are not happy with the way that the, the, the team is constructed right now or the game they're playing. They are probably the most boring team besides maybe Nashville uh, to watch play a hockey game. They've blown back-to-back three-goal leads. I mean, the last game they had a 3 nothing lead in the third period. I mean – systematically and structurally the team just looks like a total mess right now. So I would have to say that, that Eakin's seat is a little bit harder. I, I know his rope is longer. He's, he's got, you know, connection to the team. He, they promoted him from San Diego and he knows these young kids, but they're just not showing the growth that you thought they would at this point, especially since he's been with these kids for so long. I think uh, Bob Bugner's job is probably a little safer um, in San Jose. I, you know, San Jose has got a whole, bunch of issues i think they really messed up their chemistry by you know signing carlson to that long deal not being able to bring back pavelski not being able to bring thornton that was a team that that just had the right combination in the locker room and and their chemistry was messed up they they just they got a bunch of injuries there's no consistency they um they look really good on one night look terrible on another and they just cannot get any goaltending if they could get halfway decent goaltending they would they'd be winning more uh than they are right now and that's their real thorn is that that goaltending is just awful yeah no doubt about it uh great points there and, and dean evison here in minnesota um you know this is 
this is some fun stuff because, like I said, if you're you're a hockey fan here, you you like teams scoring goals, you like new guys, um, you know, uh, just lighting the lamp here and bringing some storylines and a couple of uh, you know crazy games here for the Wild. You know, them getting Zuccarella back and you know obviously being very familiar with him and uh, and East playing with the Rangers here, and he actually made a, a pretty big impact in Dallas for that short time he was there too, and and here he is now. Um, you know, and they're having some fun here in Minnesota. Obviously, a lot of work still left to do, but you know, it's a tight division. So it, it, the, the it's a crazy to... division. Yeah, go ahead, man. So you know, when, when I'm watching Minnesota, they they're suddenly you know a, a team that's on the up and coming. And that the Kirill Kiprasov, I don't know if you saw the highlight. He made a play last night where he he. He circled the entire zone on his edges without a stride. He just went around his edges. That, I mean, that is, that is the most difficult thing you can do on ice skates. He's a legit player, and he's a difference maker on that team. Zuccarello, the same thing. Um, it's fantastic that, that hockey in Minnesota is finally starting to make a, you know, an impact, and, and they're going to be a force in this, this division. I, Arizona and Minnesota are teams that are going to be fighting to the end, and, and if St. Louis doesn't turn their, their – season around i mean they're essentially 10 and 10 they play 20 games they've won 10 they've lost 10 um they could be the team that's that's finds themselves out of the playoff right now and if they were going by percentage points they'd be in sixth place in that division so um i mean it's a crazy wacky division from the start where we thought they were going to be to where it is now it's everything is so close even the ducks they're only six points behind st louis i mean uh they could go on a little stretch winning streak. They got a few games coming up with them. The, the division could be flipped on its head by the time we talk again next week. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's what we want here at THS. We want things to keep yes. flipping. Want <laughs> <laughs> stuff to talk about. Hey, I forgot to bring this up about Anaheim, but talk about this kid, uh, Trevor, uh, again, a name, Zegras. How do you say it, Steve? Yeah, Trevor Zegras. Woo, I got it right. What an absolute stud this kid is. <laughs> I mean, obviously a lot of excitement. Uh, what he did with the World Juniors and and what he was doing in San Diego, they bring him up. You know, his the Ducks come out flying in that first game. They call him up. They're scoring. It looks like things are going to go well, and then the Ducks kind of revert back to their old selves and fall apart. But he's very talented. He's a bona fide sniper. Um, that shootout goal. I know if you saw the shootout goal he scored last night. That was a veteran sniper goal. He just calmly skated in and then zipped it over the glove side. Um, the kid is a legit star. I don't think he's going to be remain up the rest of the season. I think they kind of want to take it slow with him, but I just thought, you know, they wanted to kind of inject some life into the team. So they brought him up. It got the fan base, you know, reengaged again, but um, he's going to be the next Ryan Getzlaff for this team. The next, you know, cornerstone piece of the, of the franchise. He's just that talented and that good and, and just a pleasure to watch. Good stuff, man. Look at you, man. You got some fun <laughs> stuff going on in Anaheim and LA there with the, uh... You know, some new talent and some some win streaks going on. So uh, hockey's yep. good out there in uh, in Cali. I'm, I'm very happy for you, Steve-O. Because <laughs> that happiness can turn Ugh. to sadness as we swing back to your beloved New Jersey Devils, who, uh, after we spoke last week, went on and, and beat Boston that night 3-2. And I hit yep. you up on Twitter and I went, dude, man, if they could, uh, you know, stick it to the Bruins and, and build off the, the win against the Rangers and go from there. But, unfortunately, uh, they've lost three in a row. And the loss to the Sabres, 3-2. Uh, Caps, 4-3. And uh, also to the um, uh, Sabres. Sabres again, 4-1. to So uh, giving up, uh, you know, 11 goals here in these games. 6-6-2, um, six, six 14 games played here, obviously. 7th, uh, 8th place there in the division. 
And um, I know Lindy had some remarks about the team as far as where they were at the quarter mark here. But let's get Steve Palumbo's take uh, since we last spoke last week in terms of, um, you know, the good and the bad coming out of these games uh, before they're, uh, they return to play the Sabres this evening. Well, I thought it was funny because I said to you last week, I said, the Devils are doing what they're doing, and they're not even at full strength yet. They get back to full strength, and then they go 0-3. <laughs> so from what I'm saying, well, first and foremost, especially the penalty kill have been atrocious. Um, you know, the penalty kill has been a strong point for this team, even in their, in their down years. But they're, it's less than 60% right now, and it's, just an, it's nearly an automatic goal whenever they take a penalty. And we saw that against Buffalo. We saw it against Washington. I mean, the Devils played really well in those first two games against Buffalo and Washington, but the, the penalty kill did them in. I mean, they should have won that game with Washington. They let him get back. They get that uh, that late goal there from on the power play um, from Ovechkin. He's just standing there all by himself. There's like nobody. I mean, that's the last player in the entire league besides McDavid that you'd want to just leave standing right there all by himself. And that ultimately was the difference in the game. Um you know that I think that the the level of play as far as the their motor has dipped a little bit, um, and I think that that was to be expected with uh, Heischer coming back. Um, he you know hadn't have didn't have his legs. Vatnin coming back, not having his legs. You're moving people around. You've got now putting Zaka who was playing center. Now he's on wing. Zajac comes back from COVID instead of center. He's playing wing, and you're just kind of they're moving pieces around. So I expected a bit of a dip, but um, the special teams have something's got to give on that or, or they're going to find themselves losing a lot more games. Uh, and I think that the coaching staff has, has addressed that and they've addressed it in the media and, and the devil's practice yesterday and something that they worked on. Um, so that, they turned that around and I, I still feel good about you know, their overall gameplay, but uh, man, yeah, that was, that went sour fast. Well, they better get their ass together, buddy, because you know, I'm looking here starting tonight, they have 20 games in March. You know, know. this last couple of games here, and they're playing every other night. Buffalo tonight, two with the Caps, Isles, Rangers, Rangers, Boston, Washington, Isles, 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 three against the Islanders. Oof. Uh, Buffalo, Pitt, twice. Pitt, then Philly. Well, I mean, you're just looking at this schedule. It's just, I mean, I hope they're still standing. At the end of this month. I mean, I know a lot of teams are going through this, too, with the compact schedule. But obviously, it's worse for, for teams like the Devils, who who lost two weeks of games. You know what I'm saying? So, they, they're, they're I, I imagine yeah. that it's this compact because of the uh, the makeup of games here. But, man, a, a young team, a team trying to find its identity, um, you know, after these uh, these three losses here, looking at the schedule. I mean, obviously, head down, and you got to plow through it one way or the other. But, yeah. man, um, what a schedule coming up. Regardless of where well, I, they are in the standings, Steve-O, it's just yeah. a brutal amount of hockey coming up. It is, but I, I, I'm trying to look on the bright bright side here. Because they started the season so shorthanded, they were missing players, and they, they had injected some of the younger players into the lineup. Those guys all have some NHL experience under their belt. Um, Sharon Govich, Gwokinen, um, uh, Mikhail Maltsev, all these guys that you know typically would be in Binghamton. Um, they're they're playing up here. They're getting some experience. They're having some success, so they can keep moving guys back and forth to try to keep fresh legs in the lineup and play matchups. And that's the interesting thing about playing the same teams all season long within your division is you know their tendencies. You know what what team's going to do in certain situations because you you can you can play their matchups. I feel like on any given night, any of these teams can make adjustments to beat the other team, um, unless you're in that uh, Canadian division. And but that's, <laughs> but uh. 
you know, so getting these guys some time early and, and being able to move them, we've already seen it since Nico's come back and since Vatnitz come, you know, you've been able to bring in Maltsev and then you'll bring in Quokin in and then you'll bring back Sharon Govich and they're just kind of moving guys around so that they'll keep the legs fresh. At least that's what I'm hoping as they get, they hit this really rough patch. I mean, they have a lot of hockey to make up in a short amount of time. And what do you think, Lynn? Well, did, uh, like I said, L- Lenny had his quarter mark remarks there and talking about you yeah. know the, the good and the bad about the team here and stuff. And, and I guess the other thing I want to ask you in a, in a in a crazy kind of schedule that's coming up too is, is obviously in the nets. It's really important here. And, and behind Blackwood, um, you know, how do you feel about whether Lindy's going to spread things out amongst the other guys uh, part of this goaltending cast? Well, I think. You know, that was the intention when they they brought in uh, Corey Crawford was they were going to, you know, kind of balance out the goaltending. And the Devils have made a couple, um, you know, uh, claims. They claimed uh, Comrie off waivers and then then they claimed Dell off waivers. They put Comrie back on waivers. He was claimed. So I think and they were really impressed with Wedgwood in camp and Wedgwood's played well this season. So I think you're going to see a lot of rotating, you know, you know. The bulk will go to Mackenzie Blackwood, but I, I thought Dell looked really good in his game, his first appearance. Uh, I thought Wedgwood's looks really good in his appearances this season. So I think they're, everyone's going to get their fair amount of time. I think those three goaltenders will kind of rotate with obviously Blackwood getting the majority. The other day when Dell started, Wedgwood backed him up and they just gave Blackwood the entire day off. You know, so I think you're going to see a lot of that to try to keep him as fresh as possible, but he will get the bulk of the work. No doubt about it. And, um, these last couple of games, too, anything um, – as did Lindy change anything too much as far as the roster? I mean, we talked a little bit last week about the defensive core, and obviously, um, you know, the, the guys, you know, had – especially in that game against the Rangers, and then obviously they, they, they went against Boston. They were spreading the scoring around a little bit. Um, maybe just ask you a couple of things that you want to maybe point out that you've seen, either that you're kind of concerned about or um, certain some something positive coming out of these uh, these last couple of games going forward into the schedule. So, you know, I think there's been a lot of line shuffling, uh, trying to find different line combinations that have worked and try to get guys going. I think w- one positive thing I've noticed over the last couple of days is we've seen Nikita Gusev start to come on offensively. He scored a couple goals. They were late goals, but at least he's starting to get that scoring touch back. I think having uh, a healthy Heischer in the lineup will, will be do wonders for his game. And you've got to get some more scoring from, from different guys on this team, uh, especially the guys who are relied on to put the puck in the net. And since uh, Nico's come back, he's gotten stronger each and every game. He looks more confident. Um, he's making more plays. And I think once he's up to full speed, they'll they'll throw him onto the penalty kill. And that will help improve the penalty kill, too, because he's been killing penalties his whole career. So those are things that, that are, you know, that I've seen. I haven't really been discouraged at all with the defense. You know, uh, I thought the defense all around has played uh, pretty solid. Uh, Ryan Murray has been a steady force there. He's nothing flashy, just makes a smart play. Damon Severson and Ty Smith have been exceptional as a top pairing. Um, Ty Smith just continues to impress me every single game. And I think, you know, if he continues to grow, even if the, you know, the Devils, you know, don't make the playoffs or whatever, you just see growth out of him and Jack Hughes, which we've seen exponentially this season. I think it's all positive going forward. So I like what Ruff is doing. I like the way he's managing the team. I like the way he comes out and speaks about, you know, the team uh, post-game and pre-game. Uh, I just think there's a, a lot of good things happening, even if the wins aren't coming on the ice. Yeah, we touched on that last week. I think, you know, we were kind of 
or I was leaning towards more than anything that Lindy's probably the right guy for this team right now. Absolutely. Um, yeah. As far as where they're at. And like I said, man, what a test they got coming up. I can't say it enough. It just like I said, I'm just, <laughs> my eyes are bulging here at the schedule and, and you know, I haven't really looked at anybody else's schedule right now, but I'm just kind of focusing on that. But I can imagine uh, any of the teams part of the COVID pause that uh, they got a lot of games to make up and it's going to be something to watch as a fan. Uh, Stevie, last thing I ask you before I go, uh, I'm not sure what's going on in Cali, um, but obviously here in the, in the Northeast and primarily uh, an area you're very familiar with as far as the island, um, the Coliseum here, the Garden, and the Prudential Center, the Rock, uh, they're going to let fans back in. Uh, it's season ticket holders, obviously, and, and suite owners uh, first. Uh, it'll be a small percentage of it. Uh, the Knicks uh, had fans in the game here in the Garden the other night, which is like, it's weird. In New York, it's like well, it's like from being another planet. Like, whoa, we got people back yeah. in the same. We never thought we'd see it. But anyway, right. it's, a, it's a little good stuff going back to, to normalcy, obviously, across the country vaccinations and and the cases going down in certain areas and stuff but number one let let us know what they're doing in cali because i don't know and number two uh just your take on on fans getting back into the buildings here on the northeast i i love the fact that fans are starting to get back in you you, you know especially on the east coast there new york new jersey uh that was really exciting news to hear and and you know there's been no talk at all about when if and when fans will be allowed to attend any sporting events here in California, they just started letting kids participate in sports in high school again. Wow. Um, so I'm hoping that with New York, New York and California seem to be kind of in lockstep with each other. So I'm hoping that at some point the governor here decides that, you know, we can start letting some fans in, but there has been absolutely zero talk of that at all. I know Santa Clarita County, we're up where the sharks play. You know, the Sharks weren't even allowed to start the season there because the, the, the rules and regulations up there are so stringent. And now San Jose is, gonna, is dealing with their own uh, COVID issues. So I don't know how that's going to affect them playing up there again. Um, so as of right now, it's kind of on, on pause. You know, I, I'm a duck season ticket holder. I've heard nothing um, from the team other than they've deferred all of my payments until next season. Mm-hmm. So I've I, I was paying halfway through the season and then now everything's been deferred till next season, which leads me to believe that they don't really plan on having uh, people in, in at all. Uh, yeah. It's not anytime soon. So, yeah, it's a trip of how uneven it is across the country, you know, um, even mm-hmm. down South compared to, you know, what they did, uh, you know, with football games, you know, it's, it's, it's really weird to sit back and, um, and, and watch the whole thing. And like I said, it's it'll be weird tuning in to the Rangers on Friday and tomorrow night and actually see, you know, even though, even though it's a handful of fans, just to see uh, fans in the, beginning, in, the, in the building. But with that said, as I trip over my words, um, <laughs> hopefully, like I said, it's it's something that it, it, over here that, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if we're in lockstep with you guys, buddy. I mean, you can go surfing today. We can't go surfing. <laughs> You know, I mean, no, you know what I mean. You know, what I mean. as far as all the, the regulation stuff, New York and, and California have kind of been on the same kind of trajectory. Um, we were open a little bit longer than New York, but when everything shut down, I mean, it went it went full shutdown. So, yeah, but I tell you, bring up a good point there. You know, with, with the Ducks or the Sharks or the Kings, you know, at this point, you know, next week we're, we're pushing 30 games into this season. So, yep. you know, and I don't know if you heard the, the news here with the, like the, even the Ivy League, uh, the, those teams shutting down. You know, it, it's, you know, these are all going to come out in the books down the road as far as cost, expensive expenses yeah. and everything and, and how some franchises and sports leagues could do it because they had the money. You know, I don't even know where Major League Baseball gets the money. Buddy, I mean, your California baseball teams, what the heck, man? 
Did they move on um, <laughs> Fort Knox over to Cali? What's the story, man? Yeah, I don't know, man. This is going to be interesting to see how uh, what happens this season uh, between get, San Diego and Get your and... kids off the skates, buddy, and start having them throw <laughs> balls. <laughs> That's where the money's at. That is sure. where the money is, my friend. <laughs> uh, Steve-O, good stuff as always. Uh, look, enjoy the game tonight, uh, Devils, and hopefully, like I said, we'll uh, – We'll keep following these guys as they move forward in the season. And, again, lots yep. of fun stuff going on the West stuff, which I'm really excited to continue to talk about here every week with you on THS. So, with that said, Stevie, thanks so much, buddy. Stay safe and healthy. Have a great weekend. And uh, we'll catch up with you next week, buddy. All right, bud. Always a pleasure. I'll talk to you next week. Take care. You got it, pal. Take care. Steve Palumbo, ladies and gentlemen, from the left coast, is always talking. It's the New Jersey Devils and the West Coast as well. All right, so look, that's a wrap for week six here on THS. I want to thank Joe Yarden, Mr. Costa Papoulias, Mr. Tab Bamford, and our good friend Mr. Steve Palumbo. And a big thanks to all of you guys out there who are listening and downloading and sharing and tweeting and all that good stuff. Uh, we can't thank you enough. And for yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert from Go Hockey Media Studios here in New York, I want to wish everybody healthy and happy days. Enjoy your hockey tonight. Ten games on the schedule. Good stuff. Light them up out there. Alright, thanks for tuning in. Until next week, keep your head up. That hockey show is out.